I wonder how you're doing this morning. For my part, I'm tired. Not been sleeping well lately. Anxious, fearful, worried about people that I care about. Not a great day today. I don't, maybe your experience is different, but a lot of us are riding what a friend of mine called the Corona Coaster, the kind of ups and downs. It's a fun word for something that's no fun to experience at all. And there are days that are better days, days when we feel good and we're aware of the blessings of life. But right now, for many of us, there are days that are really hard. And if that's you today, or if you've experienced days like that lately, then I want to share with you some words of deep encouragement from the Gospels. And they're words that we heard in the reading that we had just now from Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I know it sounds like words of instruction. It sounds like a teacher in the classroom saying, look, I'm going to give you words for prayer or I'm going to give you a model for prayer. It doesn't immediately sound like words of encouragement, but they really are. And I want to just walk through them. Just just dwell with them for a short while, perhaps to help you see why they might be words of uplift and encouragement. Let's start with the very beginning. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. That was extraordinary right there. It would have sounded very extraordinary to his disciples. In the Old Testament, if you read through, you find that God is often spoken of as a father. He is spoken of as the father of the people of Israel, the father of the Jewish people, the father of the nation. He's talked about as a father. There are descriptions of him that compare him to a father. But he's not addressed in prayer as Father, our Father. And certainly not by uh, individuals, let alone by whole communities. This was something entirely new that Jesus brought to his disciples. And it wasn't only our Father that he taught them to say in the passage right before the Lord's Prayer, the passage right before the words we just heard. Jesus gives some other instruction on prayer, and he says to them, listen, when you pray, don't go out on the street corners, as some people do, and perform because you're looking for other people's approval. The folks who do that already have their reward. They've got the approval they're looking for and nothing more. But when you pray, he says, and in this little passage of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the disciples individually. He uses you in the singular. You, not all of you. He says, when you pray. Go into your closet, your storeroom, the the innermost part of your house, and pray to your Father. And again, it's singular that he uses. Pray to your Father, and your Father who sees you in secret will hear you. So he teaches his disciples to call God my Father in the most secret and innermost places of their lives, and also when they gather together more publicly to pray, Our Father. I wonder what those words suggest to you, what they mean to you. I'm very well aware that although many of us have great experiences of our fathers and great experiences growing up with them, we we look back uh, on our childhood with, uh, with enormous fondness and still feel great love for our fathers. That's, that's not all of us. 
my experience with my father and my stepfather, both were difficult in their own ways. And I know that without great role models, I've struggled as a father to my own children. I hope that I've given them as much love and care and attention as I was capable of, but it's not always been easy, and I'm sure that they would be able to talk about the ways in which I've fallen short. Some of us have terrible experiences of our fathers, experiences of abuse or abandonment. It covers the whole range, our human experience. When Jesus encourages us to call God our Father, he's talking about fatherhood in the absolute best sense of the word. Some people know from their own experience what that's like. For others of us, we have to take a step back from our own childhood and our own experience of our fathers and ask, okay, that perhaps wasn't great, but what is it possible for a father to be? You know, there's a passage in Exodus chapter 34 when uh, Moses is speaking to God and asks him to reveal himself. And God says, I will pass by you and I will pronounce my name before you. And as God passes by, he calls out, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you want a great description of what it might mean to be a father, if you want a great description of what a father can possibly be, at fatherhood at its best, that might be a good place to start. Imagine that when Jesus encourages us to come before God and say, Our Father, he is inviting us to come before the one who made us, the one who shapes us, the one who holds us in his hands, the one who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness towards us, our Father. He goes on to say that when you pray, you should begin our Father in heaven. It's funny because our Father seems such an intimate way of expressing, uh, of speaking to God. And then in heaven seems to push him further away again. When we talk about heaven, we often think perhaps a little bit geographically. I mean, we've got the air around us and then above that is the rest of the sky where the birds and the clouds are. And then above that is space with all the stars and moons and planets and comets and so on. And then perhaps somewhere out there beyond that is heaven, the great celestial throne where God sits surrounded by the angels and the archangels. Wherever it is, it feels far away. Or we talk about heaven as the place we go when we die. That might not feel quite so distant for some of us. But still, it's on the other side of the mysterious veil of death. Wherever it is that God dwells when we talk about heaven, it always sounds like something distant from us here and now. Something far away in space or something far away in time and in eternity. That's not what Jesus was talking about here at all. In fact, these words translated our Father in heaven uh, come from the Greek text of the Sermon on the Mount where what Jesus actually says is, when you pray, say, Our Father in the heavens. Plural. Feels a bit odd to translate it that way, so we just call it heaven. But when he said in the heavens, here's what he meant. 
The ancient Jewish people, the people of Jesus' time, thought about heavens the same way that we might. They thought about the air around and the sky above and the stars and the celestial throne of God beyond, and they called it all the heavens. The atmosphere that we live in, that was the first heaven, and then the stars in space above, that was the second heaven, and then God, wherever God dwelt beyond that, that was the third heaven. If you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you see Paul describing a vision he has in which he went, he says, to the third heaven. That's what he means, up beyond space and into the celestial realm itself, wherever that is. They were all the heavens. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, our Father who is in the heavens, all of them, sitting on the great celestial throne above, ruling over the whole universe. Yes, absolutely. Scattered throughout space among the planets and the comets and the stars, present in every part of the great cosmos that he has made. Yes, that too. In the air, in the sky, among us. In the air that we breathe, as close to us as our next breath. Yes, that too. Our Heavenly Father is the great King and Lord of the universe who holds all creation in his hand and holds it in the highest love and regard. But he is also the one who draws so close to us. He is nearer to us than the air we breathe. Our Father in the heavens. All of them. And then he says, come before him and say, Our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Or as Lizzie was explaining a moment ago, we might translate that as, may your name be holy. May it be sacred, special, set apart. Jews always had held that God's name was tremendously holy. And to this day, uh, when in the synagogue the Torah scrolls are read, when the reader gets to the name of God, it's not said, it's not pronounced. Instead, the reader simply says, Hashem, which is not a sneeze. It's the Hebrew word for the name. Rather than pronouncing the name, they'll simply indicate to everyone, at this point in the text comes the name. And there were a lot of titles Uh, that the Jews used to address God. A lot of titles that appear throughout the Old Testament. They called God Adonai, the Lord, or El Elyon, God, the Most High, or El Shaddai, the Lord, the Almighty. All of which again serve to speak about God who is so far above us, who transcends our lives, who looks down upon us in all his might and his power and his glory. This is the God who is Lord of the cosmos, God in the third heaven. But Jesus also had a name for God, a name that he spoke often, a name that astounded his disciples, so much so that they quoted it afterwards in his native Aramaic language. The New Testament was written down in Greek, but every so often we get little flashes of the language Jesus actually spoke, usually at moments where the disciples remembered it so vividly because it was so surprising. The moment that he took hold of the hand of a young 12-year-old girl who had died and raised her from the dead, he said to her, Talitha kum. It's Aramaic. It means, little girl, get up. And you might know those words because they're in our Gospels, in that Aramaic language. 
And we know that when Jesus spoke to God, he had a name that he used. And Paul quoted it in that reading we heard from Romans. Abba. It simply means Father. It's a term of great intimacy in affection. It carries something of the overtones of the word Father, but also something of the overtones of the word Dad. It's a simple word. It's a child's word, Abba. It speaks of being a close member of the family. It speaks of being able to draw near. It speaks of being able to lay your head on the chest of your heavenly Father. Being able to hear his breathing and listen for his whisper. It speaks of tremendous intimacy. Who do we come to in prayer? Yes, we come to the great Lord of the cosmos who rules over heaven and earth. Yes, we come to the one who watches over us and holds our lives in his hands and holds them in such great regard and love and care. But we also come to the one who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The one who is as close to us as the air we breathe. The one whom we can call along with Jesus. Abba. Abba our Father. Are you weary and tired and anxious and fearful? Then don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to close yourself in your secret room, to go down upon your knees and to bring all this before the one who loves you more than you can know. Joseph Scriven, who was a poet and hymn writer in the 1800s, had lived through great tragedy. His uh, fiancée died the night before they married in a, uh, were to marry in a tragic boating accident. She drowned. A few years later, he was living in Canada, and he heard that his mother back in Ireland had fallen tremendously ill. Like many of us now, he was worried uh, about her as she hung between life and death, and he wrote to her a letter, including a prayer of encouragement that became the hymn, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Listen to these words from the middle of that hymn. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer.